Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. I would like you to uh, open your Bibles today, if you would, to Exodus chapter 24. We'll look at the first 11 verses. Exodus 24 and 1, we'll start there. In Exodus 24, Moses has already received the Ten Commandments from God and, uh, and is continuing to get these instructions from God. And, and it's amazing how often the phrase, don't cook a goat in its mother's milk, shows up. They must have had a problem with that in those days, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, sorry, that's just where my mind goes on some of that stuff. So uh, some of that stuff, uh, you read it and you go, I, I'm not sure wh- what this has to do with my life, but, uh, but there are principles that if we dig in, we'll figure them out. But I'm going to uh, use... I want you to know, I'm going to use a lot of scripture verses today because I want to show you what I believe is a great theme that runs from beginning to end in the Bible. And so my title today is, Guess Who's Coming for Dinner? Let's read our uh, our text together, starting in Exodus 24, 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls. The other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said we will obey. But they said that twice, have you noticed? Not too long after this, of course, they'll be uh, worshiping a golden calf, which is very interesting. So the same problem that we have today, they had back then, which is we say these things and we don't quite come through. But I like what Angel was saying there and, and, re- and referencing that song. We're set free from sin. We tend to think, well, we're set free from the penalty of sin. Yes, that's true. But the power of the Lord is good to, is so gracious to actually help us not to sin. <laughs> Do you understand? I'm not saying there's any sinless among us, but there is this upward trend of less and less sin in our lives as we follow the Lord. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. That was all free, the mini-sermon there in the middle of it. But you get these thoughts. So uh, where am I? Uh, Moses, verse 8, took the blood. He sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something. This is such an amazing thing. Think about what they're seeing here. Under his feet, under God's feet, was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. Not the sky in central Washington after fires. We're talking about a deep, almost a cobalt blue, a, a sapphire look under the feet, shining and, and just, just texture to it. I mean, just something so beautiful. And, and they're seeing God, and there's, it's amazing how it's transparent, but there's color in it. And uh, this is also true when we get, get to heaven, we see that there's streets of gold, but they're transparent because everything is so pure in heaven. It's just amazing to think about the beauty of it all. So here they are seeing this vision of God, all these people, and, and here's the verse I really want to key on, which is so amazing. It says in verse 11, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. And then watch this. They saw God, and they ate and drank. The NLT brings this verse out a little bit 
differently, and I like the way it's worded. I want to read it from the NLT. It'll be up on the screen. It says, And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, He did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in His presence. Is that amazing? Is that amazing? We're, we're, we're going to talk today about guess who's coming to dinner. That's, that, of course, is a title from an old movie that was in the 60s where uh, there was a, a couple's attitude was cha uh, uh, challenged in the fact that their daughter brought home. And, of course, during the 60s, this was like more heightened. It's, it's, I don't think we think of it as so much of a big deal anymore. But back then, this was something that was really almost taboo. But she brings home an African-American uh, uh, fiance to meet her parents and they're just you know they're just blown away by this and now uh, I guess there was a recent remake of the movie I actually ha I don't believe I've seen either of these movies but the recent remake the roles are reversed it's an African-American family and a white guy comes home with the with the daughter and his fiance and they kind of remade the movie but the basic li line is that there's this tension in those movies over this unlikely person showing up for a meal together and I want to suggest to you as we get into this today that there is the same kind of tension going on and the unlikely people that are coming to dinner are you and me coming. And I want, to, I want to just explore that with you today. Let's pray about that. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for these, these beautiful words of a, of a vision, it, just so briefly, of, of how majestic and how beautiful you are and the, the pavement that you walk on. And Lord, even though at the beginning we began to read where you said they, don't, they can't come up the mountain all the way like Moses, but somehow you met them anyway. And they saw you and they ate and they drank with you. And Lord, we thank you that it, that it was outside the box, but that's what you've done for us. You've taken us out of the box of our own limitations. And because of the blood of Jesus, you've opened up a whole new thing for us. So help us to unpack this today and get this figured out, Lord, as we move on through your word in Jesus Christ's name. If you agree, say amen. 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 Now, after our, uh, the message today, we're going to receive the Lord's table, uh, the communion at the front, and that's kind of connected to my talk. It was very interesting. On Wednesday, I, uh, once a month, I always go to uh, lunch with Pastor Jerry Beebe of First Assembly, who, by the way, is the best pastor in town, bar none. He is so amazing, and I love that guy so much. But um, anyway, we go to lunch, and uh, you know, we just have these usual conversations about family and this and that, what have you been doing? And then inevitably, uh, almost always, we'll talk about, what are you preaching on these days? What are you? And I said, what? What are, you, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And he said, you know, he said, in all my years of ministry, in which he's been pastor there for, I think, 30 years now or more, and uh, he says, in all my years of ministry, I've never done a whole sermon on communion. I've only done little snippets when we're getting ready to receive communion. And my eyes just started getting big. And he says, so I'm preaching on communion this Sunday. I said, there's no way. I said, that's exactly what I'm doing. And, for, and the same thing is true. I don't know that I've ever preached a whole message on the idea of what we're going to receive at the end today, but, but I felt of the Lord. And so as I'm thinking about this, I thought, Lord, you must have something you want to say to your people today. You must have something really profound that you want more than just praise center to hear about today. And I, I know Pastor Beebe will treat it differently than I will, and it doesn't really matter, but, but I'm telling you, this is something God wants you to hear today. So get ready for it. Amen? One, one time, uh, many years ago, this is in the mid-90s, we were associate pastors at Ellensburg Foursquare Church, and, and uh, there was an extra big crowd that had showed up for church that day, and we were having communion, and, and of course, we have the little cups that have the grape juice and, the, and all that, and, and so they filled all these cups, and before the service, and they're bringing it out, and the, and the 
they ran out, and there were like two or three rows that still didn't have communion yet. There was enough bread, but there wasn't enough of the cup. And so they race into the kitchen, which is just off of the sanctuary, ran in there, looked around. There's no more juice. They used it all up. It's gone. And, and the, the, the brothers and the, the ushers, and they're standing back there. One of the elders was back there, and, and they were just freaking out. And one of them turned to the other, and he says, what if we put, and he meant this in all seriousness. He wasn't joking. He said, what if we put water in the cups, take it up to Pastor Dave, have him pray over it and pray and, and God turned it into grape juice. And the other guy looked at him and said, nah, that won't work. <laughs> you know, I love that guy's faith, right? Thanks a lot, buddy. Gee. So here's where it gets weirder. So they're looking around. They think water's no good. So they opened the fridge and there was an old two liter of Pepsi in there. They opened it up and poured Pepsi into the, I kid you not. I kid you not. So two rows of the church that day had Pepsi with the bread. It really happened. I wouldn't make that up. I don't know about you, but in most places I go, I, I always have felt like communion should be more than it is. We get these little bitty bits of bread, and, and I, I like the, you know, I try to think back to what Jesus and his disciples, when they instituted it, it was part of a meal, and they're, they're eating a loaf of bread together, and having, having a, a glass maybe to themselves, or they may have shared a common cup in those days, which we wouldn't do today, because we're weirded out about germs and everything, but I understand that, but you know, it just seemed like it should be bigger, and we have these little bitty samples, and I, I sort of understand it, but at the same time, I, I, I get a little frustrated by it in a way. And uh, I always felt especially that the bread in communion has been lacking. It's almost like a punishment, like kind of a thing where, where you, uh, because you're so sinful, you have to eat this nasty bread, right? And so, so when we started this church, I thought, well, maybe we can't, you know, because uh, I just didn't want to have something that was just tasteless and awful. And, and for some reason, I thought, well, why not just get crackers? And so I, I don't know of any other church that does it the way we do. We just have these little bitty crackers, and they actually have salt on them. You know, oh, that's awful, isn't it? You know, how can I truly suffer if I'm eating a cracker with salt on it, you know? And so um, have you ever, have ever been anywhere, and I don't think we've ever done this here, but you had the prepackaged communion. Put a picture up there. Have you ever seen this before? They have communion cups, and the top... Uh, you, there's two layers of plastic on top. The top layer is you peel off, and there's a little bitty, like a, I guess you'd call it a wafer. I don't know. Um, it, it's, uh, have you ever, anybody ever done that before? Anybody? A few of you, yeah. Okay, oh, exactly. It's like you're eating packing material. It's like you grab that stuff out of the, you're eating star, it's bad. It's so bad. It's like, again, you're getting punished. Not that I've ever eaten packing foam, but you know what I'm saying. So, so we have these, these crackers with salt on them. Um, we, we use grape juice here, not wine. Um, the, 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 the reason grape juice got introduced, and in fact, the story is told, and I believe it to be true as far as I understood, it was reported to me years ago, that the man Welches, who invented the way to make grape juice to stay in the state that it's in and not turn into wine, the reason he invented it was because people were struggling with alcoholism, which, you know, there's always been drunkenness. Go back to Noah, you have a story of drunkenness. But, but the, the abuse as wine and alcoholic beverages become more prevalent and cheaper becomes even greater. Do you understand what I mean by that, right? So, and we know that the Bible says don't be drunk with wine, so, so we know drunkenness is off the table. But, but anyway, uh, Mr. Welch... Uh, he realized when he went to church and they were drinking, the alcoholics would come in. They'd been freed from their alcoholism. They were coming to the Lord and they were getting stuff. But as soon as they would smell and begin to drink that little tiny bit of wine again, 
it would re-trigger in them and they'd go back to their alcohol. So he thought, I've got to do something about this. And he decided to work on grape juice in such a way that he could make it stay in its state and not turn alcoholic. And, uh, and so that's why he invented it. And since then, and it, this is probably mostly an American thing, and I think that that's fine because we Americans, we always do things to excess, right? So you go to other places, other countries, you may get a little bit of wine in a cup. But, and I don't, I'm not against it. I'm just saying we're going to stick with the grape juice around here because I like the reason that we're using grape juice. I don't think it's about it has to be wine. It's just representative of the blood of Jesus. So, um, so anyway, I, I personally, I like Jensen Franklin. Last week we showed a video, and uh, he talked about how he personally has chosen not to drink alcohol. That's something I feel like the Lord has spoken to me too. And in fact, in 1982, the Lord spoke to me very clearly um, and said, I don't want you to drink any alcohol. I said, okay, you know, it's no big deal. You saved my soul. I said, I give up anything for the Lord, right? No big deal. And, and if the Lord makes the same thing with you, that's fine. If he doesn't understand that, that uh, a small amount of alcohol is fine, but if it gets to drunkenness, or you think about the reasons that you're having it, are you trying to fit in with a certain, you know, think it through. It should just be a beverage, not like this, Ooh, you know, don't gaze at the wine while it sparkles in the cup. That's what Proverbs says, right? So don't, don't make it a thing, just drink it like a beverage, and don't get crazy about it, okay? We good? Okay. So, um, so anyway, I, I don't drink alcohol since 1982 because I felt like the Lord told me not to. Um, but there was an exception, and Rhonda and I went to Israel, and when we were in Israel, we went to the garden tomb, which is the place we believe that Jesus raised from the dead, and, and I didn't know this was going to happen, but we were standing there, and they start serving uh, communion in these really cool little cups. Look at that. Isn't that cool? This is uh, olive wood that's right from Israel. And so it was filled up, and I'm thinking in my mind, because my whole experience for my whole Christian faith has been grape juice, right? So, so, uh, so they give us this, and I'm not really thinking much of it. And we're all standing there, and then it was time to drink the cup, and I tipped back on this, and I thought, that's not grape juice. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's different. <laughs> and uh, so, that, you know, Lord, don't hold me guilty, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just kidding. He wouldn't do that. But anyway, um, so that's the only time I've made an exception or unknowingly uh, to drinking alcohol since 82. Uh, so so you, you understand what I'm talking about. So that's what we do for communion. That's why we have what we have. But this text that we're reading today speaks of one of, again, the most, I think one of the most remarkable moments uh, in the Old Testament. Again, these Israelites have been delivered from Egypt They'd been set free from Egypt, and now, and here's the thing. We tend to think about their deliverance as that's, that's the primary purpose. That's what it was all about, get them out of Egypt because they were suffering. And certainly God was motivated by their suffering, and that's what initiated the thing. But it wasn't only or all about or even primarily about delivering them from Egypt, Right? It was about being delivered to something which was God and relationship with him. This is the big, big deal about what he did. It's that he brought them to himself. And he brought them out of the, the, the terrible uh, state that they'd been in. But, that, but here's the beauty of it. it was a re- there was a reason for their going, not just to go out into the wilderness and to be free and to run their lives as they intended, but to live in the presence of God. That's what he wanted. In fact, Exodus uh, 19, 4 and 5 suggests this and indeed says it. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you'll obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be, watch that, my treasured possession. We should have that up on the screen there, do we? 
See that? Treasured possession. God calls us his treasured possession. He says, I brought you to myself. I treasure you. So God's desire was for relationship and for humans to, to have this intimate relationship with him. That was always his idea. That's what his idea was from the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden. The people, they arrive at this mountain of God. It is indeed the same mountain where God spoke to Moses from that burning bush uh, years before. And, uh, and here you have Moses, his aide Joshua, uh, his brother Aaron and Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, that's five, plus 70 of the elders of Israel going up the mountain together. And when we get to verse 11, you would think we would read in verse 11, they saw God and fell on their faces in fear. But that's not what it says. It says when they saw God, they ate and they drank. They ate and they drank. Just let that kind of sink in for just a moment as you think about that. In the NLT, the way it words it, it says, God did not destroy them. As if to say, that's unexpected <laughs> in this story. You would think, right? Sinful man in the presence of God, how could they go to God? But God did not destroy them, as might have been expected. But instead, they're in God's presence. They see God, and they eat and drink with him. It's astounding. It's amazing. And how, you say, well, how can this be? How can... Sinful man get into the presence of God. How could that ever happen? And to answer that, we have to go back in our, in our text a little bit and see that Moses, you see there was a sacrifice that had taken place, and he took the blood, and first he sprinkled some on the altar, but then he sprinkled the uh, blood on the people. You say, that's gross, that's disgusting. Yeah, but it was so significant. It's so significant. The blood being applied to each person. I don't know if it came onto their clothes. I, I blood is one of the hardest things to get out when you're washing, right? I would imagine for the rest of their lives, they, um, they would have the stains of that blood that was sprinkled on them. Do you understand what I'm saying? As a reminder of what God was doing yeah. that day. And so, so, so they, we see that the, the blood is being applied here. Now, you know as well as I do, because we're in the New Testament, Time, that the blood of animals could never, ever have wiped away a sin in any way whatsoever. But it was the faith in what that blood represented, which was the blood of the Lamb, right, Jesus Christ, that would be shed for us. That's what the, the writer of Hebrews will make clear to us. Look at this text from Hebrews 9, 13 through 14. It says, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. So he's talking about at that time it did that. That's the old covenant. But the new covenant, verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? How much more? Are you catching this? So they were looking forward to the blood of the lamb. They didn't know exactly how that was going to work out, but they, they were looking toward it. That's the faith that they had in that. And we have this relationship now with God. <laughs> right? That, 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 uh, that we can have this relationship because of the blood. So, so in this Old Testament story, these 75 were able to not only be in God's presence, but to eat and to drink with God in fellowship. And, and I'm going to use the word communion here. Several weeks ago, we talked about communion, the word. And in the English, it comes from two words, which is common union. 
And we talked about we have communion with each other. We have a common union, a common thing we work on together. But we also have this common union with God. Amen? And so, and so there is this idea of this common union. And what they had for that day, that one day when they could be in God's presence, we have every single day a common union with God, the ability to be in God's presence and to eat and to drink with Him. Several hundred, or about 700 years after this event in the Old Testament in Exodus, a prophet named Isaiah will pen these words on the screen. Isaiah 25, 6-8 says this, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud, listen, that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Isaiah begins to now, and this is this, is this journey we're taking through the scripture. We come down to the prophets. Isaiah begins to speak of a different mountain than the one they were on. In Exodus, the people had to go wait. All the regular people, just the, the citizens, had to wait at the base of the mountain. They couldn't go near the mountain. But Isaiah, look at his words again. He says, it's a gathering of all people. All the people are invited to this. And in Exodus, the mountain of God, listen, was shrouded with uh, billows of smoke and darkness. And, and God dwelt in the midst of all of that and kept others from seeing him in that place. But, but, and they needed to be kept from him in their sinful state. But in Isaiah's vision, he says he's destroying the shroud. Did you see that? He's destroying the shroud that's covering them up and keeping them from seeing God. That's the place we're beginning to live in right now. He's speaking of two things at once here. He's prophesying of Jesus Christ who comes to save the whole world, and through his own blood, he also removes the veil, he removes the shroud, removes anything that keeps us from seeing God spiritually and knowing Him. But Isaiah is also speaking of our final destination. He's speaking of what it's all going to end up like when, it really, when we get there. Even though Christ has opened a way for us to see God clearly, uh, and it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, we see things imperfectly. Have you read this before? We see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Think about that. Right now, our experience with God is, yeah, we can see God. We can see Him move. We don't see Him in, in a form, but we see what He's about. We, we see Him in different ways spiritually, but our view is through a cloudy mirror. It's like, there's, there's ru you know, roughly there's an image there, but we're not getting it all. We're not having that clarity. But the day will come when we will see God face to face. The then that, that Paul is referring to is the day we'll be with the Lord forever. At our house, our house, we have this huge, it's kind of a triple window sliding glass door thing that just, it opens up from our living room onto a large deck and, and, uh, and it's nice to have because it just offers such a beautiful view of the, mostly of the south and out a little bit to the west. And, and we, can, we can see just Mission Ridge from our living room. And you open the doors and you go out on the deck. And it's just, it's really cool. It's nice to have. And, and, and so when, um, every so often we'll clean the glass. And when I say we, I mean Rhonda will clean the glass and, uh, you know, get it all nice and shiny. But then our grandkids will come over, Right? Or Angela? Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, there's a story there. Okay, we'll save that. Um, <laughs> did that involve walking into? Yes. And there was this nice imprint of a face there, a beautiful face of Angela. <laughs> so, so, you know, when our grandkids come over, the windows get messy from, from their handprints and stuff. I mean, I wonder why. Just check out, like, here, this is Emerson, um, right? This is uh, a couple years ago, Emerson. He's Alex and, and Brianna's firstborn. And this one, next one is Gibson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when, when he was just a little guy. He's like five now, but I think he was about a year old then. And, and so it's no wonder, right? It's no wonder the glass on our house gets all dirty and all messed up. But, but it's like this with us and God, can I just say, that the, his side of the glass, if you will, is clear and clean. There's nothing hindering on his side of the glass. But because of our sin, we, we make a mess of our side, right? That, you say, why does the glass have to be cloudy? It's not God's fault. He wants to reveal himself, in fact, more and more. And the better job we do of cleaning up the stuff in our lives, the more we see God. And that really leads into what's going to begin to happen next week as we begin to explore the, the subject of miracles and expecting miracles to take place. We're going to, you know, the, the subtitle is Move Your Mountain. There's a mountain in everybody's life, maybe multiple mountains, and we're going to see miracles in the weeks to come, I truly believe. But if we think we can continue to live the selfish kind of lives that we've been doing, and you understand where I'm going with this, we've got to get cleaned up. We've got to clean up our side of the glass so that we can see God more clearly and that the miracles of God can happen in our midst we just got to get after it that's all there is to it you see the glory is coming the glory of the lord is coming it's it's for real and so there's in the in the same sense we we uh we get to eat with god and we get to we get to have a, a meal with god and not just see his his face so to speak as we we sing those songs all the time i just want to see you just want to see you what do we mean when we say that well i just want to see you move i want to see a revelation of your glory i want to understand you better that's what we're talking about and god is going to do that for us as we work harder on our side not for salvation this isn't about our salvation this is about cleaning up the stuff in our lives to get a better better revelation of god you got what i'm saying see and so uh we used to sing an old song blessed assurance Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And that's that eating part of it. That's that glory divine that's coming. And it, the real meal, the ultimate meal with God is coming. But for now, we're going to have just a foretaste. So, guess who's coming to dinner? We are. All of us. Point to yourselves. Jesus talks about this reality in Matthew 8, 11. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's what, that's what it's about. If you think about it, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and you find that it's a place filled with the presence of God. And one, one of the, well, the first instruction that God gives human beings is go make babies. Okay? But the, almost the very next instruction that he gives is you, listen, we miss, because we always focus on the second half of this line. He says, you are free to eat. Right? You hear what I'm saying? Is there any amens out there today? You are, you are free to eat of any of the trees in the garden. Why not focus on that? We have so much unlimited potential in front of us, and yet we're always focused on the tree, that one tree that God says, no. We're always wanting to hang out by that tree. Let's just go hang out with the other trees. Because there's great food. 
You know, people try to say they were vegetarians. I just read in Isaiah that there's going to be meat. So I'm pretty sure there was a bacon tree and a... Don't, don't write letters. It's okay. I'm just messing. Okay, so... Um, but here's the, th- here's the idea. This is what I'm saying is from the, from the front of the Bible to the back of the Bible, God has been inviting us to eat in his presence. That's what I'm talking about today. All the way forward now to the book of Revelation, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 20. Very familiar verse. We often use this when we're talking to people who maybe don't know the Lord. He says in ver- Revelation 3.20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And we go, and we just usually stop there, right? We, oh, he'll come into your heart, brother. He'll come into your heart if you just open your life to him. First of all, this verse was not written to unbelievers. It was written to the churches. Remember the seven churches and includes all of us. So he's writing to the churches and he's saying to us as believers, and God would say to you today, hey, I'm at the door of your heart today and I'll be there tomorrow, by the way, and the next day. And I'm knocking on your door constantly by my spirit. And I'm saying to you every single day, because there's this continual action to this, if you will open up your door to me, I will come into your situation, that tough situation that you face or that difficulty that you're in. Trust me, if you just open the door to me, I'll jump into anything with you. But then finish the verse. He says, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, all the way back to the garden in the presence of God eating with him. At the, at the mountain when the presence of God was revealed. Isaiah prophesying it. Now we're in Revelation. And he's saying, anybody in this life that will open up their hearts and lives to me, I'll come in and I'll eat with you. I'll eat with you. So guess who's coming to dinner, folks? It's all of us. That's right. We are. Now, I'm not just talking about the Lord's Supper communion today. And I think there's a sense in which every time we eat... Every time we eat a meal, we have an invitation to have Christ with us. I really believe that. Here's what I would say. I'm going to take a slight tangent for just a moment. Forgive me. But, but I see that it, I've seen this recently in the church, that the discipline of praying before meals is becoming kind of a thing that's more passe. It's like, eh, people just grabbing their food and eating. I see it all the time. And and I'm not trying to put anybody under law here, but I'm just saying, to me, this is a disturbing trend. I think we're missing a great opportunity. Look at what Paul says to his young disciple, Timothy, and watch this carefully. It's a long passage, but I want you to catch it all. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, it's right now, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. Catch that. God created to be received with thanksgiving. Jesus took the loaves and the fishes. He lifted it up to God. He didn't, you know, he didn't, like Rhonda gets on to me sometimes, well, you forgot to pray for the missionaries because I might go on a little bit in my prayer before a meal. And so, the, But the example of Jesus is even in that moment to look to heaven and thank the Father for what he'd done in providing that food. And so, so receive it with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And then it says, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because, and watch this, this is an important line, because it is consecrated or made holy by the word and by prayer. 
It's made holy. Your food that you're eating. Man, I don't, I don't know about you, but I want my food to be consecrated. Do you understand? Set apart so that when it enters my body, it will add uh, sustenance to me and not disease. Are you with me on that? And so I'm not saying this is some kind of like uh, uh, superstition where you, you better pray over your meal or you get sick. Ah, you know me well enough to know I wouldn't say that. But what I am saying is let's keep the habit. Let's keep the discipline of saying every time we eat, we just thank the Lord for the goodness that he shows us. And, and you, you say, well, what does that have to do with sickness and things? Look, Exodus 23, 25, and 26 says, Worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none of you will miscarry or be barren in your land. I'll give you a full lifespan. There's this connection to eating and drinking in the presence of God, thanking Him for what He does. And in that time of prayer, if we could just think through this as we pray over that meal, however brief or however long it may be, but just inviting the Lord in that moment. Think about it. We, we, most of us eat at least three times a day. So there is this almost set thing that three, at least three times a day there's going to be this great reminder not to just hurry and pray so we can get to the good stuff but to realize that in that moment we have an opportunity to really invite the presence of God three times a day every day what would that do to us if we took that more seriously began to really enjoy the presence of the Lord more in those moments you catch what I'm saying now my aunt Mary she was a very devout woman she would pass by an olive plate do you remember this round she'd pass by olive plate pick one olive up and pick it up, and she'd close her eyes for a moment and say, thank you, Jesus, and she'd pop it in her mouth. And I used to think, man, you're kind of religious, lady. I mean, you know, come on, that's too much. But the more I think about it, I, realize, I, I used to think she was overdoing it. But as time has gone by, I realized and I've thought about it that she wants to be reminded, even in the smallest things, of the Lord's presence in that moment. How powerful is that? And we, the worship team is going to come back up, but let me read this text, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do. Do it all for the glory of God. Guess who's coming to dinner? We are. We are. As we finish this up, what we're going to do is that we're going to invite everyone today to come and receive the Lord's table. This, uh, everyone is invited, even if it's your first time here, we, we encourage you to feel free to come to the table. Sometimes we bring the, the bread and the juice to you. Today we're going to leave it at the front and during this last song, we're going to invite people to come to the front as you feel ready. Uh, you can come as a family. You can come as an individual. But, but just come, receive the bread, receive the cup. And, and I'm going to pray, but I also would like, um, as you come to that moment, so see, we have a fairly small crowd today. We've got plenty of time for this. Would, would you just come and just spend a moment with the Lord and realize, whoa, this is in his presence. I'm going to eat right now, and I'm going to drink in the presence of God as worship is happening, as you're worshiping. If you want to even come and kneel at the altar and maybe spend some time and say, Lord, this side of the glass for me is in a mess right now. I need to see clearly. Forgive me. And he is faithful and just. will forgive every sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Trust me. Communion for us is a small way to eat and drink in the presence of God. I was reading a book recently and the author said, for me, the Lord's Supper is really the hors d'oeuvres for the Messianic banquet. Ha, think about that. This is like a setup for what's coming. Something better is coming. Paul said these words, you're familiar to us, I think. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. 
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, the one we live under, where the blood has been sprinkled to our account forever and ever. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Don't stop there. Listen, I'm not saying the death on the cross was not critically important, but there's until he comes is the rest of that sentence. Do you see that there? Proclaim the Lord's death, but he's alive. Proclaim his death and proclaim his resurrection at the same moment. As you receive. He's coming. Notice this connection to the the coming of the Lord. And at a time when He comes, we will forever be in His presence. And we'll forever be with the Lord. And in Revelation 19.9, now we're getting all the way to the back of the book. It says, Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He said, these are the true words of God. Folks, I don't know how it's going to work out. It's going to be a really big table. You know what I'm saying? With millions and millions and multiplied millions, perhaps billions of people who have made Christ Lord and will all be at the table. And I think maybe this is just my way of envisioning it. I don't know how, but because he's infinite, I think we'll all have a seat next to Jesus. I don't know. That's just the way I view it. And it will be... I don't feel like anybody will be too far away somehow we'll all be able to be i don't know i just like to think about things like that what's it going to be like to sit at that wedding supper of the lamb to and listen i just want you to understand something here's what i think i don't think the supper is a one-time event i think it's a feast that lasts for eternity not that we're sitting around eating all you understand but there's there that it's the idea that the celebration it's the the wedding feast has come the marriage of the bride united with the groom. Incredible. There's a coming feast. And finally, in Revelation 22, 1 and 2, bringing this thing completely full circle, it says, Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Do you see this? You see this? As we spend eternity with God, we return to the place where He first put us in the garden where Adam and Eve were free to eat of the tree of life. We're going to be able to do that forever and ever and eat in God's presence. So I say to us, church, today, come to the table. Come to the pre-supper, if you will. Come to the hors d'oeuvres, if you will, but it's part of the connection to that great feast that we'll all share together. You're all invited to dinner in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.